Hello and welcome to the BCS Lovelace Colloquium podcast. I'm Joanna Hamilton. Joining me today is Hannah D, the founder and the organiser of the event. And we also have some selected winners from the event of the post competition. The winners have won a cash prize and BCS membership. So Hannah, as the creator of the Lovelace Colloquium, I wanted you to sort of share your vision and what you wanted when you first created it and kind of how that's come together. Okay, right. So um, when I first started the Lovelace, it was after going to a Women in Tech conference in London for postgrad students. So the Tech conference, it was a, the London Hopper Colloquium, which is a one-day event for postgrads. I found that so much more welcoming and friendly than I'd found the mainstream computing conferences I'd gone to. So I've been to a couple of conferences because I was at the time a postdoc. Um, so I've been to some as a PhD student and sometimes as a postdoc. And the um, mainstream computer vision, computer machine learning conferences, AI conferences, I'd always felt a bit competitive and a bit combative. And the, the London Hopper, the centrepiece of which was a poster contest, didn't feel competitive, even though there's a sense in which it was more competitive. It wasn't like centred around a contest. Uh, it was much, people were much more sociable, much more friendly. And um, I, partly because of the, just the unusualness of being in a room where you're not the only woman. We're all used to being in the, only, the only woman in the room if you work in tech. And actually providing an experience where the guys are in a minority, uh, I found really interesting. Surprisingly positive. I didn't, I didn't expect to enjoy it. I didn't expect to enjoy it. So I joined BCS and BCS Women like upon getting home and said, look, we should do more of this. Um, can I start one for undergraduates? And they bit my arm off, basically, because people offering to join a committee and do stuff is exactly what the BCS needs, isn't it? So I passed the hat round. Um, I got a small amount of money from my institute. I was at Leeds at the time, and one of my colleagues had some a grant on project work in computer science. Uh, so assuming that students were going to do posters on their projects, it kind of fitted that project. So I got a small amount of money from them as a float, as it were, which let me cover lunch. And then I passed the hat around some companies. And with behind sight, I was just cold calling people, but I got like a grand from Google and uh, 500 quid from IBM and like, all, all sorts of companies joined in. And uh, we had 50 people. Um, Included sponsors and so on. So it wasn't it wasn't a big event. Uh, and every year, we've moved around different universities. We've been online. We've been online for the last three years. And uh, this year we had two hundred and fifty register um, online conferences. The the transition from registration to attendance is not always smooth. So uh, we had two hundred and fifty people expected to turn up, and I think we had about one hundred and ninety. Max, we had, we had just under 100, I think we had 85 abstracts submitted, and I think about 65 students made it to present posters. Yeah, it was nice. We had, we had lots of conversations going on, and um, the sponsorship money went on prizes and on goodie bags and on lunches. We managed to get them like a coffee break, which we posted out in terms of sachets of coffee and chocolates and stuff and uh, like takeaway vouchers so everyone could order themselves a lunch if they were presenting a poster 
which is kind of nice. It's kind of nice to be able to do something of the physical conference experience, even if they're in their own houses. Conf conference complications for in person that don't exist for online. But yeah. there's the converse is also true. There's complications for online that don't exist for in person, like getting everybody onto the platform and all the sign up stuff and making sure everyone's microphone works. And I mean, one of the organizers had a microphone that made her sound like a Dalek in a bucket. Didn't help. Didn't help. Um, I think pre-recordings are quite good because if you didn't want to kind of wait till two o'clock, you kind of click on yeah. the recording yeah. and find, you know, like the, the woman who was doing the, the speech stuff and yeah. you could tell um, if someone had dementia through how yeah. they spoke and things like that. Yeah. That was yeah. really interesting. I really Heidi, she's great, yeah. Heidi's yeah. work is really good. She's going to be the local chair next year, so we're going to be at her institution okay. next year. Um so she's gonna she's she's a long-term Lovelace supporter. It's been really nice to have her as yeah. a speaker, give her the opportunity to talk about her work as well yeah. as about the women's stuff. Yeah. Um, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even the HR we, stuff. You know, that was yeah. really good. That woman saying how to get an, a job and give yeah, you yeah. I thought Yeah, we try we we try and be relevant to people whatever direction they're going in. Yeah. So because they're undergraduates, we don't know if they want to go into universities further. We don't know if they want to do an MSc or a PhD or they want to start their own company or they want to go into a big, big corporate. People could be going in all sorts of directions. So we try to have talks that kind of mirror that. So we've got, um, we usually have a research talk, which this time was Heidi Christensen, uh, the Sheffield prof, talking about her dementia work. We try and have one from a big corporate. So we had Okado talking about robotics with someone from NMI talking about software development. So um, we've got that kind of breadth of coverage, which is really nice. Um, and Okado uh, also sent one of the short talks as well on careers and they were, uh, they were one of our main sponsors and NMI sponsored lunch. So we were very pleased with them sending because they had uh, software engineering speaker and two of the HR type talks, the um, communication skills and the getting a good interview skills one. Um, so it's been really nice to have that input from the companies because it helps the students see what's going on. When we're in person, we don't get to have as many short talks. So that's one of the advantages of online. Yeah. Um, um, we are very keen on the whole accessibility thing, which is why we do the recorded talks in advance. Um, because for some people with attention problems or perhaps uh, on autistic people, um, they find sometimes people find it easier to be able to plan their own day more carefully. So if the information is there and the talks are there in advance, they know they could do that then or they could pick them up later. But if you want the full conference experience of doing it all in a day, you can just press play at the start of the session and it's fine. Um, it also means that the speakers are freed up for questions and um, when we're when we're in person it's harder to give that flexibility obviously because we're in person and the talks are there um, yeah. but we do try and make sure everything's flagged up like I posted photos of the venue in advance so people can work out where they need to go and having signposted quiet spaces and so on um, it's kind of nice to try and do the the for a lot of people it's their first conference so it's kind of nice to try and ease as much as possible of what they're going to get out of there. Yeah. So you're hoping to go in person next year to Sheffield. Yeah. And how do you yeah. think 
how do you think it'll be next year? Because you, you're getting more and more sponsorship, more and more interest. We've always made the sponsorship we need, um, but it's never been straightforward. Okay. What would be re- my ideal my ideal situation, if anyone's listening who has a big pot of money, would be for corporate to come forward and say, I'd like to sponsor the next five years, please. And that would save me so much time, so much time. And we would be really happy to have a headline sponsor who was able to say, look, we'll cover it for five years. It's not... It's, we, we pay student travel, so it's expensive, but it's not that expensive mm. for a 200-person event because we don't take any profit. We're not like using a company to organise something. All of the organisation is done by volunteers yeah. and people in the BCS. So um, it's not an expensive conference. I think it's quite a good bang for your buck kind of piece of sponsorship going on. Um, and you get to meet the girls, and they're all great. Yeah, the, stu- yeah. the students presenting, they're, they're, it's... Oh, they're all women or non-binary students who are doing PH, are doing MSCs or undergraduate degrees in computing. So if you want to recruit brightest girls and non-binary people in tech, it's the place to come. And they um, have some amazing posters. The, the 12 posters I sent across to you were the prize winners. So prize winners for first, second, final year MSC. And uh, there's a people's choice, which is voted across everyone who attends gets to vote for that. We try for the last couple of years, we've given BCS membership to every winner. Um, and this year we were able to give it to every finalist because uh, online conferences are cheaper. We're not sure we'll be able to do that next year. We're very clear that's a one-off, but we give the BCS membership and they get a cash prize. So first prize 300, second prize 200 for the best poster yeah. ones. And then people's choice is a smaller amount. Companies have posted some stuff to me. So STFC have sent across some Arduino microcontrollers. So I've got 10 of them in my office. And I think NMI are sending across some T-shirts. So when I next get into the office, um, I will be making up goodie bags to post out to the prize winners. But that hasn't yet happened because we're still waiting for the T-shirts to come through because we couldn't order them before we knew who'd won because we needed to know the sizes. (laughs) One size doesn't fit all. No, okay. no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> There's a metaphor. We're not, we're not a guys' really tech, tech conference. If we were a guys' tech conference, we'd just get 12 extra larges and that would be fine, right? But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would. Everyone would be wearing them to bed because they couldn't wear yeah. them out. So, Hannah, what's the future of Lovelace? The deputy chair, Safia, Safia Bariksai from uh, Southbank. Um, so the plan, the plan is that we will run another one with me as chair and her as deputy. Uh, so she gets to see one face to face as deputy. Um, and then what will happen is I will be deputy and she'll be chair. Um, so I will concentrate um, doing the student chairing, deal, dealing with all the student queries and posters and so on. Okay. It's quite a lot of admin work and I've been doing it for 15 years. So I kind of know how to do it. So I'll probably carry on with the, the student-facing thing and pass the, the organisation and the sponsorship and the room booking and the speakers and yeah. the expenses and the, how we get the travels and finding out how to book 89 rooms in the local travel lodge, which is what we normally have to do <laughs> as part of the event, and dealing with students arriving in a town and phoning you up because they don't know how to catch a bus. And those kinds of questions I'll leave to Safia and I'll do with the posters. So let's move on to our prize winners. First up, we have Megan Ratcliffe of Durham University. She's currently on a placement with STFC 
and her poster won first place. It was entitled Molecular Dynamics, a powerful tool in the fight against COVID-19 and beyond. I'm Megan. I'm doing a placement year at the moment with SDFC, but I've just finished Last year, I finished my second year at Durham and I'm studying computer science and biology, so natural sciences. Um, and my uh, poster was about molecular dynamics. Um, I think the aim was really to kind of introduce, I guess, the a computer scientist, because I, I know I have like doing um, placements SDFC to molecular dynamics and that intersection between um, like molecular dynamics and artificial intelligence and computing. So um, discussing a couple of case studies to do with the research that's been done in COVID-19, more on the supercomputing end of things, and then looking at recent AI um, analysis of molecular dynamics um, data and trajectories. There's so many different scientific fields to be a part of it. So that's, uh, like, that's I think, the case with a lot of things with supercomputing, you know, whether it's like um, any area of science or even scientific computing is a lot of the times it is it's a massive mixture of like mathematics and computer science and then physics and biology and chemistry and it's molecular dynamics demonstrates that really well but uh, like most things that are run on supercomputers it's so interdisciplinary but that's what's nice about it is you pick your area and you can become like a bit of a it, I, I work with people that are experts in like well, I work with but um, you know in my department and it's, it's nice to see that like everybody not everybody knows what's going on because that's not the point the point is that you know you, you work alongside each other and you, you learn from each other so yeah it's a really interesting field <laughs> um well I, I guess specifically in the concept of molecular dynamics is quite got quite obvious obviously applications in healthcare and it has been for a while so um drug discovery um especially is massive so um Obviously, the more we know about um, our, our molecules and cells, the, the more we can develop in terms of medicine. But even just in terms of figuring out what's going on, um, I think is is incredibly interesting. It's the, the tech, the supercomputing is needed because of the amount of detail that is within ourselves. Like if we look at ourselves, they, they are extremely detailed and the amount of physics that's occurring, it just requires it requires a huge amount of computing for it to be accurate, to try and simulate something that's closer to what is actually going on, as close as we can get it. And uh, hopefully that will eradicate the need for things like animal testing or uh, human trials. Maybe not eradicate it, but, you know, start to take away things like that and definitely help with making sure that the drugs are developed in a way that's safer for us all to use and also a lot quicker. How do events such as the Lovelace Colloquium help to make things better? They just bring people together and start conversations. I don't know. I, I think that, that that that's a big thing, like is being able to speak to people about it. And uh, I know that, you know, I, I think most people know now, like you said, times have changed and, you know, women are becoming like a lot more of the face of different areas of computing. But it's nice to see how many areas of computing that really just span and also having something there which can start a conversation about it and how, especially at Lovelace, how just supportive people were and how uh, open people are to questions. Next, we have Ashley Hoyting-Ow of the University of Warwick. 
she won first place for her poster entitled Improving Scalability and Security of Internet of Things Environment by Blockchain Technology. I'm Ashley and I'm a third year undergraduate studying discrete mathematics at the University of Warwick. So discrete mathematics is computer science and maths is a joint degree. Um, and I'm graduating in year 2023. So my context uh, research project is about uh, improving the scalability and security uh, IoT network using blockchain technology. Yep, so basically in the research project, I'm analyzing consensus algorithm used in blockchain, uh, which can be used in the IoT network to improve their um, security and also scalability. The two um, fields that I'm working on with uh, which is IoT and blockchain are the two like really um, growing, developing, or even mature, like IoT network is a pretty mature technology now. The largest challenge of the IoT network is to maintain the security. The IoT network expanding a lot of, like there are more and more devices connected to the network and it is crucial to maintain its scalability and um, security. And I think my research project, it is not a really innovative uh, project, but then I feel like analyzing them and also to improve them, it's a really uh, crucial expert to help with the IoT network and also how big the IoT networks is affecting our society now, whether it is smart city or a smart home or industrial um, purposes the usage of IoT network really helps the society. So IoT network, it's super um, energy excessive. Like it, it is like use of a lot of resources, but then, so the integration of like blockchain can really help with IoT network. But I think like blockchain itself also use of a lot of energy. And I think like as I will really look forward to more research like as well as I will also want to do more research on it to really um, save up the resources and to reduce the possibility of each device so that each device wouldn't use up so much resources. How do events such as Lovelace help make things better? So during the colloquium out uh, instead of like attending a lot of the industrial talks. I also attend to one of the talks about PhD, which I am actually like wanting to pursue like after my master degree. Um, I think like during the talk, like she really like talks about like how it's like um, studying PhD. So it is the diversity of um, choosing career path, like not only like uh, starting to go into the workforce directly after the degree, but to like go for another like path such as like doing a four-year PhD, um, this really like broadens my view and deepens my understanding of all my choices uh, of doing computer science. Like for the colloquium, yeah, um, I think the use of Discord is a really clever choice. Like imagine if we're in a fair, like where like it is not a virtual fair where we can like walk around different booths. Like maybe we couldn't like spend as much time as like it is to spend on Discord because in Discord, as you said, you can open and all out. Like you can take a quick glance of everyone's poster and then start to like go deep on some of the posters you're you're interested in. For example, um, there is one like poster I was really interested in is she was using machine learning to detect the um blood spot to see like 
what kind of murder it is. I just think, wow, this is super fascinating. I wouldn't like think that I could use IT to do such things, like because what I'm doing, what I'm thinking is just blockchain, IoT, and all the like major fields. And what she's thinking is some kind of really real life application stuff. So I was just like, I'm really interested in it. And also,、wow. um, yeah. So I actually like got the chance to like、uh, talk to her through Discord and also like. Uh, we also expand our network with like、um, exchanging LinkedIn accounts, and and I think like、um, it is really nice, especially like for talks as well. Like I can、uh, join in one of the talks and、uh, like listen to it, and I can immediately like change it to another topic, like go into different、uh, posters, which I think is really convenient at some point. <laughs> so yeah, I um uh I think it would be. Good if there's a real life fair, uh, for the colloquium. But then I think like the Discord one is really clever, and I really enjoyed it in any way. Yeah, I would just want to express my great like my gratitude to like this colloquium because this colloquium is like a really um precious opportunity for me to like talk to different people, and also uh, it is actually my first context in my three years of university. And I feel like it is a really good start. Like I think after this colloquium, I will like be more encouraged to join more colloquium or contests to like, like rather like to winning or like or rather to aim to win the contest, but to like exchange ideas with different people, also like broaden my field.、Um, yeah. So I was actually like it was really unexpected. Um, experience as well as like also my winning as well. So yeah. Um, I'm really happy about that. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have Anna Weir of Cardiff University. Anna won second place for her poster entitled "Covax Centi: A Sentiment Analysis System for the COVID-19 Vaccine," based on Twitter. Hi, I'm Anna. I'm a former master's student at Cardiff University, and my poster was about Covax Centi. It was a sentiment analysis system I created. To analyze tweets,、uh, tweets to do with、uh, the COVID vaccine. So to do it, I created a、uh, naive Bayes algorithm. I pulled, I think, approximately about thirty thousand tweets from twelve months of the pandemic, and I analyzed them.、Uh, to pull my tweets, I searched the keywords、uh, COVID, coronavirus, and then vaccine. So I knew that they were in the realm of being about COVID. But it was really difficult to work out whether or not the sentiments were specifically about, you know, people being angry about the vaccine, or people being angry about the virus in general, or about lockdown, or about politics. And I found that my algorithm wasn't specific enough to work out truly whether the sentiments that I found, the mostly negative sentiments, were actually about people not liking the vaccine. As I went through my project, I realized that I could start looking into whether or not vaccine sentiments changed in response to different events throughout the pandemic. Because I focus specifically on the UK timeline,、uh, UK tweets from the UK timeline. So I、uh, looked into things like the beginning and ends of lockdown, the rollout to different age categories, like news announcements. I know when like AstraZeneca was announced to be associated with blood clot risk. Uh, I looked into whether or not the sentiments I found for each day of the pandemic、uh, differed based on whether or not、uh, these events occurred, and I did find that I believe there were four events, three of them being the starts or respective ends of the different lockdowns, and one of them being 
the vaccine rollout to those in the 40 plus age category, which I found to be pretty interesting. It was very negative. Uh, I looked into the rollout on for those aged 20 plus, 40 plus and 60 plus. And the day it was rolled out to those who were 40 plus, there was a significant spike in negative tweets and the ratio of positive to negative tweets really changed. I did do some uh, some reading into it because I was really confused by that result. And there were some oh. studies that have been done that found that I think the age bracket of 40 to 44 is the strongest age-based demographic predictor of someone being part of you know, the anti-vax community. So I assumed that because the other age brackets didn't result in a negative skew towards the vaccine, that that must have been because, you know, a pocket of the population being anti-vax at that age. And also, I believe if, I think you're more likely to head to Twitter to, uh, to complain rather than head to Twitter to say that you're excited about having to do something to help your family. I think that just doing anything in the realm of public health research is working for the good of society in itself. I mean, I did my whole master's in in lockdown. Like I went to Cardiff, but I did it all from London. And I thought that doing a very COVID-based dissertation was a good, you know, like final thing to represent my whole my whole project, my whole my whole process through my master's. I've never been to an in-person colloquium before. Everyone I've done since the end of my undergraduate up to now has been online. So I think it's just great getting connections with other women in STEM because I felt in a lot of my classes like coming from a coming from a subject where it was maybe like 70% women in each of my classes I'd never felt the way that I felt walking into logging into a zoom class and seeing there's only three girls in this class of like 30 it's it was really strange and I think hearing talks from all the people who attended as well about their experiences uh, in the field was really inspirational and it feels great to walk away from that knowing that there's a community of people who can support you through things that you go through in your career. Well I also really enjoyed having different tabs for all of the different career sponsors who were there, the different people who came from industry because you could see like other people earlier on the day were asking questions about the interviews, the application process and you could read through those answers. You didn't have to keep asking these people bothering them with the same question again and again. It was really helpful. Next up, we have Andrea Zaharia of the University of Cambridge. Andrea was awarded first place for her poster entitled Federated Learning for Advertisement Timing. All right. Hello, I'm Andrea Zaharia. I am a master's student at the University of Cambridge, where I studied my bachelor's as well, and I'm studying computer science. It's uh, been a lot of work. I'm really excited about everything I'm doing. Um, I'm, I'm really proud with what I've done so far, but there's still a long way to go. It's still an ongoing project. And um, yeah, it's about making ad serving a private experience for users and having less annoying ads um, at better times and improve engagement. So this is more about timing. So when uh, we decide how to when to show the ad, but you can generalize the same method to ad matching as well, to, to decide what ad to actually show. And what we do is um, called federated learning. And the key is that the, the user's data never leave their devices. We only share some um, updates for the machine learning model, but never actual data. So everything that's computed is computed on your own device. And uh, 
we use some some secure methods to aggregate between devices. So you also have the models optimized by the experience of other users. But again, you don't have any access and no one actually does have any access to user data. Oh, my project makes IT better for society um, because we come up with a solution to advertisement that's advertisement is an industry that's never going to go away, right? Yeah. And if we can make it a little bit more private and a little bit safer for users and also a little bit more comfortable, I think that's a plus. I'm uh, mainly interested in computer systems and machine learning and generally focused on privacy and security. I'm, I'm really excited about software products we can trust and also hardware products we can trust. In my dissertation last year, I worked on hardware security. And if we can use something and be confident that's what it should be and it doesn't use us as the final product, that's what really matters. How do events such as the Lovelace Colloquium help to make things better? It's really lovely to hear from so many other women in the field who are doing so many amazing things and it's about exposure. It's, it's a great practice run for everybody because a lot of us are going to present to other conferences as well and other venues and it's really nice to be able to present in such a friendly environment and have everyone really ask supportive questions and give you constructive feedback and that's, that's just been a great experience. And it's great to hear from accomplished speakers in the field and hear about their experiences. So what was your favourite part about the day? It, it was the keynote. The, it was my, my favourite. Uh, it, it was a great experience, the conference. I really liked that. And um, yeah, although it was virtual, I'm, I think I got a lot out of it. And I think, I think the in-person event is going to be so much better. Last but not least... We have Victoria Bird of Birmingham City University. Victoria won second place with her poster entitled, I'd Blush If I Could, Verbal Abuse of AI-Based Voice Assistance. My name is Victoria Bird and I'm an MSc Artificial Intelligence student at Birmingham City University. It all actually started because my mum can't get my sister's voice assistant to work because she keeps saying please to it and won't respond when you're polite to it and I thought oh hang on because my sister's got two little girls and I said does that mean that we're teaching children not to be polite to female voices that started me thinking about a, a consideration of an issue rather than like a, a technical piece the difficulties and the implications and the impact of having a woman's voice that just responds immediately to commands does what it's told and then goes away and waits until you shout at it again it's worrying because it's just so automatic. And the more I read about it, there's one voice service in Japan that you can use to buy stocks. And if you're getting the information and you just want advice, it's a woman's voice. When you're confirming payment, it's a man's voice. And then I was talking about it to the head of our women in computing uh, group at the university. And she said, our fire alarm, the warning voice is a woman, but the actual evacuate voice is a man. And there's all this information about this is why we use women's voices when we want it to be polite or helpful or it's like an assistant but you use men's voices when you want it to be authoritative but then in some markets it is male default so in um, a lot of the Arab states it's automatically a man voice but it's I really like the Chinese solution because their Alibaba the speaker looks like a cat and it's got computer vision in it and it's designed so that elderly people who've got prescriptions 
can show the packaging of their medicine to the speaker and it will read out to them what they need to take. But it uses a cartoon like cat voice. And I assume it doesn't get anywhere near as much sexual abuse as Alexa gets, because that was what I found really interesting was then I found out that it's 5% of interactions with Alexa and Siri the Light are actually sexually explicit abuse. <laughs> and that there'd been programmed responses to that, but they hadn't worked out how to program in responding to please. So how does your project make IT better for society? I'm actually working on a horizon scan report as part of my degree now, where I have to suggest an implementation that will improve society. And in the same way that China have just announced that anything that's using a GAN, which is the adversarial networks that create deep fakes, there has to be a, a time cut or something on it to indicate that it's not real. I think the option of introducing a gender neutral robot voice that allows people to know they're not speaking to humans would actually move away from this default woman as secretary, woman as assistant. I'm particularly looking at this at the moment, voice assistant personalities. Prosody is the idea of emotion. So already it's beginning to be that if you whisper, your smart voice assistant will whisper, whisper back. But next it will be, if you're upset, it will respond to you being upset. Gartner predicted that people now speak more to their voice assistants than they do to their spouse. And if your voice assistant is more responsive to you being upset than your wife is, then we're setting up these impossible targets for women to achieve again. How do events such as the Lovelace Colloquium help to make things better? It's, it was a really brilliant space. There were some amazing speakers and it, the, open, um, the plenary was really fantastic because it was quite open and honest and frank about what it had been like to be a woman and the difficulties that you face, but also that there are more of us and we are growing and, and you know, that sense of sistership, I think, not being alone. And I think it's that being able to meet other women and share that knowledge or experience of no it's okay we're we're meant to be doing this it's it's right 